Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. Today, I'll be reading from chapter eight, where we meet a new character and uncover a broader sense of what's going on in the world of Azuria. To discover what happens next before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure. Hooves thundered down the dirt path at the edge of the forest. A ripple passed over the druids. They would have news of the elders. They look frightened, Fenris said, sniffing the air. And none of the elders have returned with them, Ingrid added. She swept back her long, blonde hair, a nervous habit. Her eyebrows contracted as she stared at the rangers. Genevieve bit her lower lip. It was time for her to meet Mary Ellen for training, but there would be too many distractions as the rangers delivered their news. They could take their daily trip into the forest after they'd left. She walked away from her friends and searched for Mary Ellen's hickory braids amid the huddles of whispering druids around the conclave. Her teacher was there at the edge of the village with Sheffield and the rangers. Genevieve darted in and out of the small gatherings and waited beside one of the outer cabins. Mary Ellen's hand was over her mouth, her eyes wide, and Sheffield nodded gravely. Something had happened in the city. This is why I haven't been able to see them. Genevieve jumped as Constance appeared beside her without warning. Mary Ellen said you'd been looking for them in the waters. That I have, girl. Has that ever happened before? What does it pretend? That they're dead, or worse. I told everyone a few days ago, but they don't listen to me. Need some wanderers to tell them what they witnessed with their own eyes without doing a thing to stop it. Genevieve wrapped her arms around her waist. Just last week, she and Mary Ellen had practiced the deep breathing necessary for accessing deeper, more powerful magic. She couldn't slow her mind for long enough to tap into it. Even the most basic spells that came easily to her peers were difficult for her. Constance was watching her, head tilted sideways. What is it? There's a curious sign over you. Best be careful. Genevieve shuddered after the seer walked away. Most in their conclave dismissed her pronouncements, but Mary Ellen took them seriously, so she did too. Sheffield nodded to the rangers, and they rode away, heading north further into the mountains. They normally stayed with the druids for a few days in their travels. That they continued on had to mean something significant. But what? Her two mentors and the other Suvarin gathered the conclave together in the village center. She hadn't been alone in her alarm at the ranger's departure. Jacqueline muttered to herself and grew a flower garland unconsciously while sparks kept flying out of Beeson's fingertips. Leha raised her arms overhead and motioned for silence. Please, she called in Druidic. 
even the trees stilled. Dark brown streaks stretched down her face, tears having carved their own pattern in her Varan markings. Our allies bring grave tidings from the city. It is worse than we had feared. Another wave of distress crested over the community. Leia waited with her hands pressed together at her chest. The Council of Andal-Sahavra allowed the elders to defend our community against the farmers' baseless charges of our conclave bewitching their animals and poisoning their crops. But they were unwilling to open their ears to hear and understand our story. Rather than let them depart in peace, Leia took a deep breath. They marched them from the council chambers to the city's prisons. Their temporary leader suppressed a sob. Genevieve's hands were shaking, and cries of grief and dismay flickered around the gathering. We are, all of us, too young to remember the city's practices in the era's past, but it seems they have recovered access to dark stones. A collective gasp. The stones from before the flood that hampered one's access to the natural world. One of the rangers saw their cages, fortified with the stones. She said that each elder was taken to an individual stone cell. If they were each locked away alone, they would never be able to free themselves from the Dark Stone's power. The shadow magic would eventually destroy the elder's connection to the energetic weave that bound all life together. And without that connection, they would die. They felt a final severing, and then they passed on. The druid tales retold through the generations across Torstrayvon Strayvon explained. The stories taught children to fear the anti-magic early, should their persecutors return to power. But if the stories were real, if Andalsahever had truly recovered the Dark Stones, none of the elders could have survived their imprisonment, alone, without the aid of another to help them cling to their magical connection. Genevieve tightened her hold around her center. If she could only remain still, then perhaps, perhaps they might come back, surprising them all. In her heart, when she reached out for the lower branches, the strength of their community, she felt only the creaking in the upper limbs. Many around her were less subtle with their emotions. Some of her family cried, others fell to the earth. The young looked about, confused at the sudden distress they had not the perspective to comprehend. We should have gone with them, Ronaldo shouted. No. Sheffield stood beside Leha and placed a hand on her shoulder. We did as the elders wished. More would have been imprisoned and killed had they not taken the precautions they did. He bowed his head to Leha and stepped down. Leha resumed her address. Three of the twelve elders foresaw this possibility. They wished us to be able to defend ourselves should the city be once again unwilling to hear and value our people. In this case, they asked that our energy be put into preparations. We will speak to the forest and ask that she take us in at dawn. You should each be ready to travel to the far side of the mountains then. Leah took a ragged breath. By the shade of Quercus and the light of Selene, we will find a new home. Her arms fell. She stared at their frightened community before she took Sheffield's hand to step down from the dais. Once her feet returned to the earth, the conclave was allowed to move. Many couples and friends leaned on one another, tears flowing freely. Genevieve turned away from the elders' households and their overwhelming grief. It washed over her, its tide rising, threatening to engulf her entire being the longer she stood nearby. 
Mary Ellen had stepped away from the other minor elders to look for her. Genevieve! Her teacher's voice reached her above the crowd. Mary Ellen wrapped her in a tight embrace, hands clutching at the back of her hair. It will be all right, Sarata, she whispered. She cupped her hands beneath Genevieve's face and held her head up toward the light. Sheffield and Leha will help the other Suvarans speak with the forest and ask Quercus's blessings for a new home. You and I have more training to do. A sad smile spread across her mentor's features. She was trying to make the day feel more normal to blunt the tragedy. Mary Ellen needed the meditation as much as she did. Mary Ellen led Genevieve into the forest to spend a few moments communing with the spirits of the elders. They will guide and protect us on our travels, she said. Her mentor laid her fingers against her throat to calm its quaver. And they will lead us through the great forest. Genevieve tried to sense their presence, to ask for guidance in these few days before she officially joined her community, but she felt nothing. She kept her concerns at their silence to herself as she and Mary Ellen returned to the cabin to pack their belongings, while Sheffield and the other Suvaran beseeched the forest for safe passage and oversaw the community's preparations. Mary Ellen had built a small fire beside their cabin to warm bread and vegetable broth for their evening meal. She rose to embrace Sheffield, and he wrapped a comforting arm around Genevieve. "'How did you find our forest today, my dear?' He smiled at her as though nothing were amiss, the way he'd greeted her each day of her druid training thus far. "'The forest does not speak to me the way she does to you.' Genevieve moved a clod of dirt to the side with her worn leather foot wrap and rolled it back toward herself. Sheffield watched her in silence, waiting for her to speak. "'But something else has been bothering me today.' Curls of dark orange licked at the fire's depths. Why did the city imprison the Varan? They were innocent. Our people were the ones who were attacked without cause. I don't think that we... She has a right to know, Marie. His partner bit her lip but nodded. Genevieve, the elders traveled to the city to answer the charges against our practices. Androsahever has long had a religious circle of its own, in Haven, outside of the city walls. It is their ancient seat, one the priests took over for themselves long ago. They do as they wish there, and the city's leaders support them. Mary Ellen clutched her locket, a golden acorn carved into the outside, and muttered a prayer. Sheffield continued. The city's official doctrine holds that no gods save those who are represented in Haven can be worshipped on the continent. Their power does not extend far enough to influence Nortelan, or any on the western side of the mountains. But those who are near the city, like us, are considered under its jurisdiction. When we first heard reports about the farmers attacking our members on the roads, we thought they were after our land. We believe something else is at stake now. The city guards who ventured here to demand an audience with the elders said that our neighbors claimed we had put curses on their crops and bewitched their herds. We explained that the city's growing demands placed unsustainable expectations on the farmers and their lands. The elders offered to help, but the guards scoffed at them. The color heightened on Sheffield's cheeks, and Genevieve felt heat rising to her own face as well. Arvarin were tried on charges of heresy, practicing dark magic, and treason. Sheffield rested his elbows on his knees and ran a hand through his unruly brown hair before he could continue. His voice was hoarse. They were each found guilty. We will not see them again. The pool of tears at the base of his eyes found a counterpart in hers. 
the Conclave would never survive without the wisdom and guidance of their elders. A scream pierced the darkness, the scent of ash on the air. Mary Ellen and Sheffield were still sleeping, and Genevieve crawled over to shake them awake. Mary Ellen's eyes widened in fear. Sheffield's jaw was set. Keep a lookout, he whispered. Genevieve crouched in the cabin's doorway as they grabbed their packs from the far corner and hurried toward her. Shapes moved in the undulating darkness outside. Thick clouds of smoke obscured all but their closest neighbors. Snarling echoed from one of the nearby cabins. It couldn't be an animal. They maintained a close relationship with the forest inhabitants. With a crackling roar, the wooden shingles of their roof caught fire. We must go now, she hissed to Mary Ellen and Sheffield and rolled outside. Genevieve shrank into the base of their cabin, back pressed against the wooden shelter she had called home for the last three moons. The smoke caught in her throat and burned, but she wrapped her cloak around her face to muffle her coughs and protect her lungs. One step at a time, she crept to the cabin's edge. Two soft sets of footfalls behind her and a rapid glance confirmed that her companions had made it out of the blazing cabin. She exhaled. Heat gathered around her cloak. Genevieve leaned around the corner. Screams flew, disembodied, from all directions. The entire outer ring of their village burned, and the fire was working its way inward. Like a nightmare phoenix, the flames leapt from the roof of their cabin and landed on their neighbor in the next ring. They fell like delicate rain at first, but soon crescendoed into a fiery deluge. The homes beyond their own and those by the forest had already been engulfed. Sheffield crept up beside Genevieve and supported Mary Ellen, who stared, uncomprehendingly, at the inferno that had been their community. Hold on to me, he instructed. His warm brown eyes were fiercely determined. She clasped his forearm. I'll lead us out. Over her left shoulder, deeper inside their village, silhouettes appeared out of the smoke. Genevieve's breath caught in her throat as she watched members of her community fight the flames to find their way out of the fires. Beeson conjured a wall of water that she sent crashing over homes. On the other side, vines sprouted from Minaldo's fingertips to smother the flames. Oanil, Quercus, Ayane, Ayane. Constance shouted prayers to the heart spirit of the woods and Great Father Oak. She tossed herbs into the air and waved her hands in front of the flames. Celine Pierna, Pierna, Bellistira. Mary Ellen, on Sheffield's other side, pled with their mother goddess. Genevieve, it's not working. Her teacher looked at her and then down at her hands and stumbled forward. I can do nothing. Leave it for now. We must. Sheffield cried out in pain as a flaming arrow broke through the plumes and lodged into his shoulder. He screamed and pulled away from the two of them as his leather jacket ignited, his back wreathed in rapid flames. Genevieve's instincts took over and she propelled herself backward, away from the flames. But Mary Ellen was braver. She yelped, her hands blackened as she tried to remove her partner from the flaming coat. Sheffield continued to scream and writhe in pain. Genevieve picked herself up from the ground. They needed help. A hulking form leapt from the shadows with a snarl and shoved her to the side. She spun to avoid the burning remnants of their neighbor's home and fell heavily to the ground, landing flat on her back. Breath vanished from her chest. Her mind commanded her body to move, but nothing responded. She had to get away. Sheffield's screams stopped. Panic howled in her ears. Where was the creature? She couldn't run toward it. It was... 
The figure stepped back into view, black against the plumes of gray, lit brilliantly orange with glowing embers of red at the ends of its fur. A werewolf. Run. A surge of breath filled her lungs. Genevieve sprang up from her elbows to push herself away. It took two monstrous steps forward. Wolf paws perilously balanced massive shoulders and a dripping red maw. The oldest members of their conclave told of a cursed tribe to the far north, jealous of the druid's harmony and power, but they'd not been seen for generations. In all the tales, the hybrids suffered a state of derangement, driven out of their minds by their curse and a relentless desire to spread it. But this werewolf was in perfect control. He stood in front of Genevieve and looked down at her. His saliva dripped onto the singed fabric of her leggings and ran down her scraped knee. The world around her slowed. One of the wolf paws pressed into the top of her foot. The claws drove through skin to strike bone. His weight buckled her leg to the side, and she screamed as the tendons twisted. He snarled and bent forward. A hairy knee pressed around the slight curve of her hip. Genevieve began to sob and looked away. You're not here. You're not here. You're not... The creature growled again. Clawed hands pinned her forearms to the ground and shoved them over her head. Get out. Get out. She couldn't break her arms free from his grasp. Small rocks scratched against her arms as she struggled. There were wolf's knees pinned her thighs to the earth. She opened her mouth to scream again, but her voice froze in her throat at the look in his eye. Hunger. Determination desire for power and dominance. The werewolf kept his dark gaze trained on her. Her stomach convulsed as he brushed the hair away from the base of her neck. The werewolf pulled back the top of her tunic and cloak, exposing her collarbone and shoulder. The seams in her nightshirt ripped one by one, with a light pop for each stitch. He paused as he lowered his face toward her neck, snarling words she couldn't understand. But the mocking, threatening tone was clear. She jerked her arms again, but it only served to drive his claws deeper. Genevieve's oxygen came in heaving sobs, and she willed the ground to envelop and protect her, but, as in her training, no natural force came to her aid. The hungry glow in his eyes told her that with his every move, he wanted to be sure she understood and would know each moment of this ordeal of being infected. Her body shuddered but could not move, horrified, cold. The snarling smile stretched further and he uttered a few more syllables before he lowered his head to her skin. She felt the cold edges of his teeth scrape lightly across her neck as he ran his tongue from the base of her throat over her collarbone. With an expression between a chuckle and a growl, the creature widened his fangs and inhaled her scent before he drove his teeth into her shoulder. Her body convulsed. The fangs sank deeper into the muscles as he bit down harder. Venom coursed through her veins. The world roared. A place of screams pain. It wasn't until the shock as his teeth left her skin that Genevieve recognized her own screams amid the echoes in her ears. Her vision went dark as the poison seized her body. Her head struck the ground as she convulsed again and again. A sticky weight pressed against the side of her neck. She had to turn. Part of her shirt pulled free from the bloody mess of her neck and back as she rolled over. Her stomach heaved. The retching sapped her of strength, and her empty stomach tumbled over and over again. It had to stop. They would hear. Glowing embers provided the sole source of light across the ruined druid community as thick smoke obscured the night sky overhead. Shadowy figures stalked the settlement. Their misshapen legs and long-muzzled faces swayed in and out of the flaming remains of her home. 
lying and moving, spirits extinguished by the flames, the dark silhouettes of bodies, huddled together, littered the ground. A short distance away, two familiar forms draped over each other. The corpses of Sheffield and Mary Ellen, arms wrapped around one another. Genevieve covered her mouth with her left hand. She couldn't move her right arm. She stifled the cry. They were gone. She couldn't stay here. But there was nowhere to go. They had no other home, save the forest. (gasps) The forest. Inside, the gods might come to her aid. The lands they had tended might be willing, in turn, to care for her. Even if the forest could only provide a shelter while the werewolves remained, it would be enough. She crawled slowly, her right arm dragging along the ground. A cry from the village's smoldering remains. She stopped. Others were still alive. On the far side of the camp, a wet thunk silenced the cry. She waited. There was no reprisal. She had to go. It would be possible to return after they left. Others might be in the forest. They could find a way to cure her infection or prevent it from taking hold. If she could only get beyond the outer rim of ashes, the forest would keep her safe. Genevieve closed her eyes as she crawled past other bodies, burnt beyond recognition. One bore a charred horseshoe pen on the remains of their chest. The brooches marked the druid's scouts, a position of honor. She suppressed the bile that rose in her throat at the smell. Suddenly, through the heavy plumes of smoke, a second figure appeared. Not a werewolf. A woman, her body covered in gray tattoos and glowing paint, with an antler crown on her head and a long bow draped across her back. The woman placed a long, gray-brown finger over her lips as she looked down at Genevieve and glided past. Snarls from her right grew louder. Genevieve shook her head at the woman's back. She couldn't go that way. The werewolves would see them. A hulking body balanced on wolf's legs stepped out of the smoke. Strained tendons protruded across the creature's form, and its muzzle dripped, either saliva or blood. Her muscles tensed as the woman's voice rang out over the fire. She stood between the werewolf and Genevieve. Had enough bloodletting, have you? She said in druidic. Her voice was low, melodic, the sound of a fading memory. Long indigo braids pooled over her shoulders and chest. The werewolf snarled a response. They couldn't have spoken the druid's tongue, but the woman somehow understood the hybrid growls. She laughed at him. That will not do at all, beast. Be gone. You cannot continue any further. He growled again. The woman traced the delicate feathers that hung down from the thick braid beside her high, pointed ear. She should keep crawling while he was distracted. The one who stood between her and the monster reached behind her head and withdrew two curved silver blades from beneath her long hair. The metal whispered as it left its bindings. The twin scimitars, the phases of the moons engraved on their surface, hummed with energy. So be it, the woman said. The werewolf sprang forward and her rescuer spun, a swirl of singing blades bent low on one knee. Two more whispers, like leaves in early autumn, then three wet thuds. The upper half of the werewolf's head splatted near Genevieve. The free-flowing blood sizzled on the ashes of a cabin, and she sprang away from it in horror. The woman exhaled into the gathered fingertips of each of her hands, and tiny balls of fire appeared. She dropped them onto the other two parts of the severed body as she passed. She knelt beside Genevieve and placed her hand on the side of her face. Her touch was cool and as gentle as a breeze. The lilac eyes were mesmerizing. My name is Yvain, Genevieve. 
Go forward with our people's blessing. The forest will care for you. Another waits for you inside, near the heart. Genevieve nodded but couldn't move. How would this woman arrive to help her? You must go, Genevieve. Leave this behind. Her raging nerves calmed with the woman's voice. This was the next step forward. Genevieve pushed herself up to standing, and the first tingles of feeling returned to her right arm. The woman caught her as she stumbled. Genevieve rolled her shoulder and freed her skin from the binding of her own blood. To the forest. The trembling along her limbs and across her insides ceased. She crept forward. Each step nearer to the forest brought an increased sense of calm. Don't look at the bodies. She would be safe. The woman had said so. Find our lady in the stars who waits to give you rest. The oneness, our great reward, to Astrolabe be blessed. Genevieve murmured the prayer to the sole guardian as she tiptoed forward. The woman faded in and out beside her, but the sense of her presence remained. The stars glowed brightly overhead. The smoke only choked her village, the space outside it was clear. A pillar of the fire's aftermath rose into the heavens, taking the souls of her family to Astrali. A tendril of moonlight uncurled in a path that wound through the forest ahead. The moon dust of Selene. The woman's spirit dissipated when Genevieve reached the edge of the trees. The forest beckoned her inside. She stepped through the still wall of leaves. Yvain pulled herself out of the vision, arms shaking. That was reckless? But what choice had she? The cries of her people flaring at once. How many more would they lose? This was only the beginning. It now fell to her to inform the Kaldaran community of their sister tribe's fate. Should she tell them that the werewolves from the northern highlands were the ones behind the attack? The more enemies they knew were on the move and mounted against them, the more cautious they would be. She needed them to have the wisdom to take the longer view, to risk harboring Gieliath for now until the girl grew stronger, until she learned to embrace the magic that had been hers since birth. The enemy had moved against them even faster than Yvain had thought they would, and on the wrong continent. What was she missing? But she had to tell them something. If Lucian and the werewolves had decided it was time to act, saying silent would be akin to taking part in their death sentence. There had to be a way to buy more time. Eliath could travel nearby, within Mara's protective reach, but not directly inside the conclave. Distance from the centralized juridic magic of the Vagarvale would shield her from Lucian's gaze for a while longer. But the moment the girl began to grow in her power, Lucian would know. He would come for her as soon as he was able. It was his mistress's command. Yvain stepped away from her casting circle and looked down at the feathered focus in her hand. A young Sadad woman had made it for her long ago. Though she had hoped to avoid traveling to the Vagarvale wood, Mara would need help convincing them to take the right path forward. She would deliver her full warning in person. She stepped back into her tree, high in the Frostmaw Mountains, to find the jasper stone whose twin Mara held. The channel between them allowed the two women to speak with one another across long distances. Protect her. Prepare. I will come to you soon. Our enemies are on the move. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes in the world of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. 
I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you, for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at BethBallAuthor or on Twitter at GroveGuardian, or you can email me, Beth at BethBallBooks.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero's stories after the events of Hedvarian Heist, book two. You can pre-order your copy of Amber Queen at BethBallBooks.com shop or at your favorite bookseller. At the end of this episode, I'll read you the blurb for Amber Queen so you can get a bit of a taste for what's coming in the future. But if you're working through Buried Heroes with me on the podcast, perhaps skip ahead through this part because I don't want to accidentally spoil anything. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Fae and Damon Tears. We return to Buried Heroes next Tuesday, July 6th for Teodric's storyline in Chapter 9. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon. And now for our special mini segment, Amber Queen, Age of Azuria, Book 3. Power in all its forms will find its way to you, Soul Shepherd. You must be ready for when it does. Danger blossoms beneath Ieliath Amastasia's every step as she searches for the sixth seal piece. With Marcon and Quindithius by her side, the druids set sail across the infinite ocean. Ancient evils lurk beneath the crashing waves, but other forces prove just as treacherous, threatening to drag the druid underwater. Submerged beneath the weight of her choices and the revelation of her soul's true nature, can Ieliath weather the swelling storm? Eager for vengeance, Brisera Servistenia hunts the vampire Nathark across a shadow-cloaked realm. Some enemies are familiar. Spirits churn in the whirls of mist around her feet. Foolhardy challengers thrust themselves into her path. But surprises lurk in the gathering fog. Allies shoulder their way to stand at Briseris's side, and the ruling vampire lord seeks her audience. Where blood runs as water under the earth, the huntress prepares to claim her destiny. Fate swirls around Persephone Aral like curling smoke, beckoning her and Rainier to escape the city and travel north to the sanctuary of the snowy peaks. But the storied mountain range offers tales more varied, a fortune more complex, than the single refuge the Saudad and her companions seek. Harpies haunt the highlands, and werewolf agents of Andalsahavra roam free. More unpredictable still are those whom fate has bid her to find. The life of the pirate queen Celeste's trusted informant, Darcy, hangs in the balance as Theodric Adamar guides his crew across the infinite ocean to an ancient island fortress. Once there, Genevieve Vindage can perform the ritual that will save Darcy, the one responsible for the assault against her conclave. However, her ancestor's magic, preserved in the roots of the towering trees, has intentions all its own. Conflicting desires war within Genevieve's heart, and on the island, they are not alone. In Book 3 of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, Ieliath, Briseris, Persephone, Genevieve, and Theodric confront the true cost of their journeys. But the question remains, are they prepared to pay?
find out in this action-packed sequel to Buried Heroes and Hadvarian Heist. Available at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite bookseller for pre-order. And the novel releases on August 31st of this year, 2021. So I hope that you're super excited about that. Thank you for letting me share it with you. And I will be back with you next week. Happy adventures.